Tell me something now, boy Just hurting me and leaving me give you joy Hello, it's Harrison. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already, preferably five stars. But um, yeah, please do five stars. Thank you. Um, follow us on Spotify and check out our Instagram. Take a screenshot um, of you listening now, share it on your story, tag the podcast account. Anyway, I'm probably rambling on now. So it's time for the episode. Enjoy. So I wrote it in a song. I guess nothing lasts forever And believe me now I've moved on, I don't know how Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of It's Good To Talk A place of positivity, inspiration and conversation Today I'm joined by Max Bosch Max, welcome to the show, how are you? Very well, thanks for having me Harrison, I appreciate it Thank you for coming on um, It's wonderful to finally get to chat to you um, I wanted to start off um, talking about your channel you've done some crazy things I mean to name a few recently renting the Olympic pool for a Lilo race you bought a roundabout you printed your CV on your car you got the most famous voices to do your voicemail uh, many more as well as one we obviously can't miss but um, we'll talk about that in a bit I wanted to ask if you've had like a favorite thing you've done for a video a favorite experience um yes but it's probably not going to be the one that you expect um, there was a period where I kind of changed up the content and I knew that I, I couldn't just do the street interviews anymore. I had to kind of make something that was slightly longer format. So I yeah. came up with a con- uh, concept called unconventional where I'd go to weird conventions and basically experience them because obviously from the outset, it looks really bizarre and you think yeah. everyone there is a bit odd. Um, but the, the, the aim was to go there and to enjoy it and see, okay, why do so many people like, like, I don't know, um, metal detecting? And the first episode was the metal detecting convention. And I went there and that was probably the most fun I've had on a day filming because it was totally unexpected. And everybody there was so welcoming, so warm, so excited that somebody who was outside of their community would want to come in and talk about it and film it and make it like a mini documentary about it. Yeah. Um, That they were, they were so welcoming and so warm that that was probably the most fun I've had uh, whilst filming a video all of the big all of the big ideas like as you say the the CV on the car and the roundabout and the yeah um, Olympic pool when you're actually filming those it's quite stressful so you can't quite enjoy it as much because you're so you know that this needs to work like this needs to be a good video so a lot of the time it's it's not really focusing on what enjoyment you're having in that moment rather than how is this going to come together in the edit I guess it's yeah like for example the one with the CV on the car it's all well and good doing that but something's got to come from it for it to be a video yeah. otherwise you've just wasted yeah. money and time there needs to be there needs to be an ending there needs to be a big climax otherwise you're right like you've just you've wasted your time and, and yeah. that's kind of yeah back to square one yeah um I wanted to go from the start in terms of YouTube how did you start YouTube why did you start YouTube when did you start YouTube um I didn't really plan to be a YouTuber I kind of fell into it I'd always wanted to be a radio presenter Uh um I would I when I was at university I wanted to be a radio presenter and I kind of looked at the, the the progress you needed to make as a radio presenter to get a job at you know Capital FM your heart yeah. Radio One's and that was basically to go into hospital radio, um, mm. to cut your teeth and learn in hospital radio, and then 
win a few kind of win this kind of best newcomer award um at the hospital broadcasting association and then you get yeah. loads of offers from radio um and i kind of done um bits of that over the course of three years and yeah. I, i'd won the award and i was kind of waiting there twiddling my fingers thinking oh right i've done everything i've been told to do but you need to get into radio now where is it and yeah. nothing was coming um nothing was nothing no no job offers were there so i thought well i probably should start making some i'm good at on the audio side but i should make some video content for an agent or just to have yeah. and so that's when i just started making uh street interviews which i would then put on facebook um mm. and they on facebook was where they did much much better than youtube youtube they didn't do particularly well and it wasn't until i moved to london and i was just trying to make as many pieces of content as i can and again to put them on facebook i wasn't really thinking of youtube um and it wasn't until I, i mean i was putting them on youtube but they were getting about 10 views they weren't really doing particularly well and um, it wasn't until i met zach and jay that, that kind of the youtube side of things just really took off and how does it actually feel knowing that you've got the amount of subscribers that you do like does that actually feel real yes but what you'll find what you find harrison is like speaking to every single youtuber that i know and met yeah. and friends with that is that you move the goalposts to the amount of subscribers you have yeah. to whatever you whatever's more than what you've got yeah so enough for everybody in youtube and just think just generally enough enough is what you have plus a little bit more yeah and and that doesn't matter whether you've got 10 subscribers 10,000 subscribers yeah. or 10 million subscribers so that is one of the biggest issues that i think face youtubers and why we see so many of them burn out like numbers numbers never end they never they yeah. like they do not stop so to 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 feel like oh i've got 450,000 subscribers now yeah if you'd said that to me 2 years ago i would have chopped your arm off to have that but now <laughs> that i'm here i'm like ugh i need to get to a million i need to work out how i can get yeah. more so you're you're right there should be more gratitude towards oh my god i can't believe i've 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 mm. made i've got this many subscribers but in my mind i don't feel like i have made it i don't feel like i have no. been successful until i've got that 1 million subscribers which okay. is a really bad way of thinking about it and a really unhealthy way of thinking about it but it you find yourself getting into those thought processes yeah i was going to say how do you actually measure the success of your job then because a lot of it is numbers as bad as it is it is mm. done a lot on numbers and that's what other people look at um does the subscriber count almost judge do you judge that as your success or do you how do you actually it's 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 a question i actually haven't asked myself harrison i don't know how <laughs> i judge my how i judge the success whether yeah. i enjoy myself i mean youtube is the most wonderful job it, like yeah. you are your own boss um you get to have these really cool experiences um i like to think that if i'm making videos that i really enjoy making then yeah. and they're really creative and yeah. they're things that people enjoy watching then then that's a success but uh, that's that's the very professional and pretty answer when i know that the answer is more <laughs> like oh i want to make more money than i did last year i want to have more subscribers yeah. than i did last year i want to grow faster than i did last year um I'm trying to branch out into different areas and different fields in which which will hopefully bring kind of hopefully success in other areas that I can kind of hang my hat on. Um but it's a question I haven't thought much about whether how I judge myself for success on on yeah. YouTube. Do you feel 
pressure with the job you do. I know a lot of, and I quote, like influencers find that there's this responsibility of building this perfect life and stuff like that, which you're not someone who I would look at your social medias and go, oh God, they're trying to give off this, you know, standing in these clubs every night and doing this and doing that. Do you find the pressure though to kind of build this perfect life? Not the perfect life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm not, yeah, I'm not kind of your, your, your traditional influencer. Yeah. Well, I don't really do the influencing part. Like I, no. I turn down <laughs> basically 99% of free stuff that I get offered because I know that nobody cares whether I'm flogging Hellman's mayonnaise to everybody <laughs> because I, I think audiences are clever in that. I do feel a pressure to be funny and to have a a much bigger video than I did last week with the kind of style of content I've kind of moved into. It's difficult because you have to go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger each time for your audience to want to come back. Yeah. And that's a really, really dangerous cycle to start to get into. Mm. Um, And it's a very, like, it's a very popular one that we've seen across YouTube over the last couple of years. Like Logan Paul with the suicide forest, Jake Paul, Mm. those guys were a, were a total, um, response and a reaction of that mindset like you start to then lose what initially was acceptable when you started making content because you have to go bigger than what you did before um so i i think i don't have yeah to answer your question i don't quite have the pressure to have the perfect life i do have the pressure to be funny every time i do an instagram story to have my like to life to be relatively interesting and to be on another adventure so that is definitely the case. And to have that every single week can get very, very tiring and exhausting. Yeah, I, every time I speak to people who do social media, I think the common thing is the fact that the job is a 24-7 job. Like you can't just clock out at 5 p.m. Does that, I feel like you're someone who is also really organized, but would have an idea at three in the morning and then want to just start getting on it. How do you kind of um, organize your home job life there, there is no organization unfortunately <laughs> there is oh do I have to work really late for this video yes I do okay I'm gonna do that right and I've been told by my family and friends that I need to get like a work phone and like my personal phone because right. having your socials on on your phone is is really quite dangerous especially when things are going well yeah like people always say oh yeah it's it's very easy to turn your phone off and not look at instagram or twitter or youtube when like nothing's really happening but when you've got a video that's banging and you've got subscribers coming in left right and center you become the little rat with the cocaine in the science experiment like you're pressing yeah. that button refreshing refreshing you want yeah. more you want more so that is how i have the the kind of work-life balance to be honest with i don't really which is is probably i'll look back on this interview in a couple of years be like god that was so naive of you max i can't believe you <laughs> said that um but yeah you're right i do have these ideas that in, in at three in the morning and just go and make them like the my london mayor yeah. video the first video where i announced that i'm running for mayor was i had the idea 12 hours before i posted that video because i realized <laughs> oh hold on i need to be the first person if if anybody else has had this idea I need to be the first person on YouTube to post Say a video saying it because then it's mine. Yeah. I mean, then Nico came out and did his own version of it, and which, which was much, much bigger. But I think you can't really compare yourself to Nico because he's a huge creator. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there are a few of those moments where it's 3 a.m. in the morning, I have a video idea, and I have to, I have to go out and make it. Otherwise, mm. I just can't sleep. And 
you know, you kind of mentioned that about social media and having it all on one device and stuff like that. Is your relationship with social media a positive one or can it actually get toxic sometimes? Have there been times where you're like, okay, right, I actually need to just delete the app or just put it to a side or are you quite good at managing it? Yeah, I think I'm quite good at managing it. I I have a few processes in place that try and stop that. So I don't, my phone doesn't go into my room um my bedroom at night I leave it in the kitchen and I'll read before I go to sleep that was a really really helpful and positive one because I found myself just before going to bed and going to sleep just scrolling on TikTok for an hour and then you just suddenly look up like oh my god and and what's weird I mean TikTok is this whole other thing TikTok has been designed by the best and most the smartest people in the world to keep you on there and to view nothing um so if I'm on social media and I haven't benefited i haven't gained any value from that session on social media then i see it as a a negative someone said to me if you were if you went on twitter for an hour and after an hour i I asked you what did you just watch you wouldn't be able to tell that person what you just seen on twitter but if 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 i'd watched really into a creator for the last hour and i'd watched two or three of their videos yeah then i feel like there is a little bit of value there i've had a story that's been told to me i've learned Mm. something or i've been entertained in some way um so I, ha- I keep the phone out of the room um but other than that I, it does it is quite a negative side of things social media that it, it's it's all encompassing it's this hungry monster that needs content every single yeah. week every single day every single hour for people in, to enjoy and when that content doesn't perform as well as you'd like it's very easy to be, oh it's a failure it's all over the whole career is done yeah it, in. it was a good run that's finished um when in fact like if you look if I looked two years previously to where I was to now, yeah. it's a it's a it's a huge like spike, but it's just been a bit of a stock market the way to get that's mm-hmm. been ups and downs. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, that it I, it is quite toxic, but I have a few processes in place to to, to help me out. Stop it. You said about how originally when people were like, oh my god, like isn't this brilliant? You know, with the fact that people were all at home for YouTubers and stuff like that, and at the start you were like well no like this is going to be really difficult when you managed to kind of figure your content out was it actually quite beneficial no not that I saw like it was um over the in 2020 the most popular videos I had in 2020 were was probably the roundabout video and Mm. also the radio one um uh, car video and both those were when I when we weren't quote unquote lockdown right um i saw growth in Mm -hmm. 2020 but i don't know whether that growth would have happened without covid or it was because of covid so i can't possibly say that it definitely did benefit um but yeah i don't think i had any huge videos that went Mm. massively viral in lockdown like a few creators did like the zoom kind of content got very very boring very quickly but some of some people did really really well out of it um yeah and, and really blew up their channels even further from zoom content like i think uh josh peters and archie manners they did the carol baskin video um zach and jay did the judy dench video on zoom um so there were opportunities for people to grow and to really blow up yeah. um but it was still it was still quite difficult for me on my end um, and how long did it take at the start? You said that you kind of were doing it because you wanted to build this career in radio or something like that. Mm. But it kind of was a hobby how it started or it was kind of somewhere to get somewhere else. Mm. How long did it actually take from posting a video and just starting to just 
do YouTube to it then being like, okay, this is my job now. It takes a while. And that's the mm. biggest thing that I'll say to people who say, oh, how do I get into YouTube? Yeah. Well, the first thing, you, the first thing is you need to love making videos because mm. it takes a long time. The barrier to entry to get into the YouTube space is so low that anybody can do it, which is a yeah. great thing, but it's also a terrible thing. It's a great thing because anybody can become a YouTuber. The terrible thing is because everybody can become a YouTuber. Yeah. So you're competing with thousands of hundreds of thousands of videos mm -hmm. every day to get people's attention. So how do you stand out? You stand out by getting good at what you do and you only mm -hmm. really get good by really enjoying it and taking the number of years it takes you to get good at making a video so yeah i first started making videos in the way that you see them now yeah in 2017 and right. i first started making money from youtube at the start of 2020 really? so it it took it took a while and before 2017 when i was making street smart i was making videos like i was editing whenever we go on holiday i'd make a yeah. video from the vid from the holiday yeah. i really enjoyed it so yeah for me it took it took about three or four years before I started making any sort of form of money or any kind of, and, and if you're in it, if you were, if, if I was getting into YouTube for the money, I would never have had the patience to wait no. four years, three years to eventually get that payday. And even if I did, it wouldn't have been worth it if I divided what I'm making now by the three years where I made nothing. It definitely was not worth it. I'm, I earn a living from YouTube, but I'm not a Mr. Beast or, whatever um earning millions and millions i'm earning a, a decent salary what i do um but yeah you wouldn't i wouldn't have had the patience if 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 i was just in it for the money i think that's quite a misunderstood thing i think people think that like all influencers everyone that do social media is all earning like 10 million pounds every time they click post and all of that it's just not realistic is it i mean for some it yeah. is yeah, I mean, we you hear these stories of like, oh my god, this influencer gets paid five thousand pounds per Instagram post. Yeah, which which may be true, but then you've got to remember they've got to then ration those posts so their audience don't get annoyed at them. So yeah. they're doing. I mean, like if that was me, I would only do one of those. Every, I mean, I don't do any paid socials on Instagram anyway. But the point is, is that on my on my channel, I try not to make any branded content unless it means something for the video. So yeah. I did it for the Olympic pool because the Olympic pool cost me a couple of thousand pounds to rent for an hour. So yeah. it makes total sense for me to do that. Um, so although you hear the top line of, oh, my God, influence gets paid X amount of thousand pounds to make yeah. a video. That is true. But you're missing out the cost of the video. You've got the agents fees that are involved in making the video. You've got your time in making the video. Um, there are so many, you've got cameramen to pay. You've got editors, if you've got an editor to pay. So there's so many costs involved, as well as that top line of, oh, they get paid £6,000, £10,000, £20,000 a video. And that's why I think people forget that it's it's a business at the end of the yeah, day. totally. It is just a business. And you wouldn't say that to... Uh, a company at like a bar who had like a really big Friday yeah. night. Oh my God, they made £5,000 this evening. <laughs> like, yes, of course they did. But remember, they've got so many costs the drinks and the yeah. staff and the rent. And so, yeah, it is very much a business. And there is just because there's, a, there's someone fronting it, there's a personal front to it. It doesn't mean that there is a huge team, not a huge team behind and a lot of cost involved. Yeah. A hundred percent. I wanted to talk about your goals for the future in terms of where well, you want to go now. Do you have any short-term goals, any long-term goals of what you kind of want to do? 
Um, I've been trying very hard to make the the the, the goals um non uh non quantitative, so not about numbers because. Right it can be demoralized. You can might have a great year and you don't hit that target. You say, oh, it's a failure. I haven't, I haven't succeeded this year. Um, I want to get, I want to be the best entertainer I can be. I want to be real well-rounded and as good as I can be in loads of different fields. So I'm doing a stand-up tour to, to just try that as well. And I want to make myself as future-proof as possible. So my aim is to basically be doing what I'm doing at this level in five years time. Um, because I think that longevity is something that's definitely overlooked in a, in a field that is constantly changing and new people are joining and old people are getting washed out if they're not if they're not keeping up the energy that they once had that your longevity is incredibly important so my goals are just to, to keep doing what i'm doing keep making videos and, and and content that hopefully people find entertaining and still be sticking around in in five six years yeah i 100 percent agree like with me it's it's nice to watch the journey grow. I'd much rather that than just blow up one day and it will be going well for a week and then that's done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I want to be able to look back and go, wow, I really like worked for, for where yeah. I'm at now. And that and that explosion is incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. But it it is, you say it goes. It it yeah. finishes after a week and you forget. And it's so weird how quickly six months goes by and you're back mm-hmm. to square one from where you were previously. Um and it's much more valuable to grow slowly, much more value because you build a community. And if you can keep those people there for a long period of time, it shows to you, hey, what you're making is good. It's just a matter of time before more people see it. Um, so, yeah, I would I'm, I'm with you on that. Slow growth is, is probably much more sustainable and healthier than, than a big overnight sensation. I wanted to ask what has been maybe like a favorite part or a proudest moment of doing your career, not necessarily just of your videos or just of videos but any kind of experiences that have stuck out to you um i think meeting people on the street and 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 people not just saying oh i enjoy your videos but meeting someone and say oh i watched your videos when i was going through a difficult time last year and they really helped that's always so lovely because it's very easy to forget when i'm at home sat behind my computer uploading the content that there are people behind the numbers yeah um, and i think actually this stand-up tour is probably going to be the answer to that question that you just asked harrison but not quite yet because seeing people in real life will be such a will be such give me such a buzz and understand mm-hmm. okay there is this community behind those numbers but i've just never realized that before and i've never really noticed that before because you can't see them they're just a number on a screen but so seeing them live will be will be really really rewarding i think um so yeah i i think it's still to come that that moment yeah super exciting um i wanted to talk about the tour so it's called max bosch social butterfly um what can we expect from the show tell us all about it the show is it's it's predominantly a stand-up show you do not need to have watched any of my videos to to understand the show um it we i've written it very much in in a way that it's been designed so that anybody can watch it let's because I understand that a lot of maybe people will come with friends who don't watch the channel or parents who don't watch yeah. the channel, and I don't want them to sit there feeling alienated um it's it's an hour an hour long stand-up special um and it's yeah it's quite Joe Lycett if you want a kind of a reference point of a comedian that it's quite like Joe yeah. Lycett Dave Gorman as well 
um, where I tell some stories with the screen about right. the um, about the whole experience. So of being a YouTuber and life as a life as a YouTuber. Right. So um, it's yeah, super exciting. It's I really genuinely think it's 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 funny and enjoyable and a fun night out. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited for it to get going. What made you want to do a live tour and going to comedy? Then how did that process kick off? Um, I wanted to just make myself as um, uh, kind of employable as possible in the long term. So if I go to somebody who works in the entertainment industry and say, hi, I've got 450,000 subscribers, they don't know what that means. That, that is, mm. doesn't mean anything. But if right. you suddenly say, oh, but I also did a stand-up tour around the UK and sold 3,000, 4,000 tickets, then they're like, oh, I understand what that means. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. And so it's it's going back to that conversation of kind of longevity, like trying to future proof myself as much as possible and to get good at as many different um, areas of entertainment is one of the reasons I wanted to do it. The, the, the buzz as well that you get when you come off stage is just incredible. Like it's such an instant feedback that you get from the audience. If something's funny, they let you know. If something's not funny, they let you know. And that feeling of coming off stage when you know that you've made people laugh and you've made them enjoy yeah. their evening is just an awesome experience. Yeah, 100%. Having the idea of doing the show to then tickets going on sale, how long's that process actually been? Long old time, Harrison, long old time. And um, the plan was to do it during COVID. So, I mean, in 2020. So the plan was to go up to the right. Edinburgh Fringe with the show in 2020. So I'd written it in 2019. I was performing it. I was performing bits of it at the beginning, at the end of 2019. Um, COVID happened. Um, I rewrote basically the entire show. Right. Um, and so it's then we went on sale with tickets about six weeks ago. So the process has taken a long, long time. Um, and But that's probably quite a good thing because I've, as I said, rewritten the show and made it better and made it tighter and brought it up to date. And because I've got new viewers who've come on board. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it's taken, taken a while. And so just to be able to do it will be just so, so exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. Where can um, people get tickets for those who don't know where they can find them? Um, just my website, maxfosh.co. Um, it's, it's all very new and trendy on the website. It's just a .co, not .uk.com. <laughs> it's just maxfosh, maxfosh.co is where you can find all the tickets. Um, some of the places have sold out. So we sold out in Birmingham, um, Nottingham, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, please come along to, to London, Exeter, Cambridge, Oxford, Sheffield, Leeds, loads of different places still on sale. Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow. Yeah, going to a, a lot of places. How was it selling out on those shows? That must have been quite surreal. Oh, it's awesome. Like the the, the, the show in London is 750-seater, um, big um, theatre that I've been to many times to watch things before. And yeah. I actually had sold the tickets and then I went to an event there and I kind of looked around and thought, oh my God, this is, this is how many people it's going to be <laughs> on the night. So even talking about it now, I'm just, I'm slightly terrified, but hopefully that by then I'll be so kind of well-versed and, and in tune with the show that I won't, it won't be as nerve-wracking and just be quite enjoyable. Yes. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. Um, I wanted to go on to the fact that you ran for mayor. Why did you run for mayor? Um, and a, a mate of mine in a group chat told me I should. 
um, is, the, is the short answer to the question. I posted a, um, a an article to, to a, a news story by the BBC that was entitled Prospective Candidates for the London Mayor Position. Um, and there were loads of people on there and I uh, sent it to a group chat of mine like, oh, look, look at the people who are running. And someone said, you won't run for London Mayor. You won't do it. Um, and so then I had a look at the bottom and saw uh, what the entry requirements were and I thought you know what I think I could do that I think that that is within my wheelhouse I think I could do this um, and so that's basically the short answer for it and then once I once I'd applied I then realized okay right let's try and let's try and find let's try and do a some good out of this but also let's make a storyline out of this because I needed both because I wanted to do something that was relatively positive I was aware of the idea that hey this is a big deal I don't want this to be feel like I'm taking the piss. Yeah. Um, so I, I did really want to get more young people to vote. And I just realized that, hey, we are so uninterested as a youth population in this country when it comes yeah. to voting. So I think it was much better to have somebody in the running, a horse in the race, than it is to have a stuffy politician telling you, oh, it's really important that you go out and vote. Mm. So the narrative of it and how successful the story of it also affected I think how many people would go out to turn out to vote. And then I just saw that Lawrence Fox was running as well. I saw, hey, two, two posh boys, both went to Harrow, both have absolutely no experience in politics. He's got 5 million quid in backing. I've got absolutely none. How, who's going to win? Like who, who, who would be, who's going to be, who do the, the British public and the London public think is more likely to be mayor? I love that. That must have been such a, weird experience because you've gone from doing YouTube and stuff like that to then running for London mayor. Yeah, it was quite bizarre in the on the, on the election night when we were all the candidates were kind of put in this room and we were we were officially told the results before we went out on stage mm. um for the for the public to know the results. And I kind of looked around and thought, "Oh my god, this this is actually slightly bigger and culturally relevant than I thought like there's yeah. the, that's that's the conservative party the labor party the lib dems the greens yeah. like there were major political parties and major political politics like major politicians who were in that yeah. room that i was just chatting to and they were just asking so like have you been in politics long and why why have you why are you running and um, so that was it was the only then when i kind of realized the scale of what i was doing but i genuinely do think we did we did some good with with the campaign and getting yeah. more young people to vote it's still the same it's still the thing that people come up to me and say oh my god you ran for mayor i voted for you i voted for you second um which was which is uh, upsetting when i tell people explicitly not to vote for me i thought it was i would make a terrible mayor but it's nice for people to sh to see that they were showing their support um but it was it was a mad experience and and i think in 5 years time i think i'll look back on it and and really understand Oh my God, I actually, I actually did that. I actually ran for London mayor. Um, I've got uh, one of the ballot papers that was, that was left over that I've kind of framed up in my, in my mm. flowers, just a reminder, be like, okay, just don't forget that you actually were part of this kind of political movement. What would you have done if you'd have actually become London mayor? <laughs> it was the favorite question that everybody was asking me. Um, and it's a fun question because it's fun to kind of think of, but I, I knew that I never, ever, ever was going to become mayor because you need one and a half million votes yeah. um, just, to, just to kind of get in. I think the first thing I would have done was uh, think, oh shit, what have I done? That would yeah. be number thought process number one. 
And then I think I would have just tried to get on with the job and, and do it to the best I can. I think I would have probably surrounded myself with experts in every field. Yeah. And just become a total parrot to what they yeah. told me what to do. Um, <laughs> I would have looked pretty opening schools and, and youth centres um, and kind of cutting a ribbon. But in actuality, <laughs> the real the real government and the real policies were probably going to be taken by the real professionals and mm. they would have just told me what to do. I love that. God, that would have been so funny if you'd have ended up just... I think it probably would have been the most, the the biggest upset in the history of politics. Forget Trump, forget anything across the entire world. If that had happened, uh, it would have been the most, the biggest political news story in in the decade, I reckon. Yeah, I don't think the older generation would be too... um... No, and uh, as we know, they're the ones who are voting. So I was, I knew that I was safe in the knowledge there was absolutely no way that I was. Yeah. Although I would have, although I do back myself to have done quite a good job, I think I would have done quite a good job with it. I love that. Um, I wanted to talk about you growing up a bit and kind of how you got on to doing this. Did you ever think that you'd be doing what you're doing now? What did you think you were going to do in your future? Um, I wanted to do something in t- entertainment. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a comedian uh, because right. I just was basically a bit of a show off as a ch- as a child. Um, <laughs> I just wanted everyone to look at me, and I did. The, I did the plays. I did the musicals. Right. I was always trying to make m- my sister's friends laugh, or my mum laugh, or my mum's mm-hmm. friends, or anybody that was at home with us. I was always trying to make them laugh. Yeah. Um, so. I probably thought that I was going to go, I, I'd wanted to go into ent- the entertainment industry, but I probably never thought I was going to. I probably thought I would have gone into something quite boring and maybe insurance or law or um, something like that. I was definitely wasn't smart enough to be a doctor or anything like that. So I probably would have thought, oh, I'm, I want to go in the entertainment industry, but there's there's no way it's ever going to happen. So I might as well just get my head down and work in something that, that I know will pay the bills. Um, but it was kind of at school when I realized, oh, hold on, like if you, it's not special, you don't need to be special. You don't have like special mm. talent in order to get, um, to do like, to, to go into the entertainment yeah. industry. You just need just a bit of perseverance and working and working and working. And so that's what kind of school taught me because I saw that in my, in my school days and experiences there. And so I thought, well, hold on, I can just do this, but just change the, the working hard from my GCSEs into, into the entertainment industry. First of all, who did you look up to then? And then who do you look up to now? Obviously, as much as you do YouTube and you do social media and you're getting into media, you still watch it like everybody else. Who were the people you looked up to then? And what about now? Um, now it is people like Bo Burnham. I think he's he's an incredible inspiration. Like he recently, he's a he's a comedian. He was a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. And um, he recently, recently released a Netflix special. But I look up to him mainly because he, I, everything he says resonates with me when it comes to the making process and the side of social wow. media. Um, so I look up to him. But um, previously, who did I look up to? Um, Eddie Izzard. I loved Eddie Izzard. Um, I loved a lot of the old school comedians. Jack D was one of them. There's a comedian called Josie Lawrence who used to perform at the Comedy Store in London, um, which is this comedy club. And I thought she was just absolutely brilliant, the way that she could talk to people and make them laugh. Um, weirdly, my dad, like my dad is, 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 is kind of very similar to me um, in a lot of ways. Um, he went into kind of very much a corporate job, but 
um, a lot of the people, whenever he's with people, he's he's trying to make them laugh and um, is coming across as hopefully as being very warm and welcoming and 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 easy to chat to. So growing up, I'd always watch him make people laugh and think, oh, that's that's mm. quite a that's quite a powerful thing to be able to make someone laugh and to make someone enjoy what you're saying or, or yeah, just enjoy their afternoon with you. Um, so yeah, then now, yeah, it's probably the Bo Berlins of this world. Um, I like, I think what Jack Whitehall has done is very, very impressive mm. um, because we've come from a similar background and it's the way that you kind of manage the expectations of the kind of posh narrative mm. and being able to spin it into something that's inherently positive because that posh word has probably slight negative connotations with it. It has connotations of, of elitism and stuffiness and looking down on other people. But what, the way that Jack Whitehall has done has just shown it to be that he's quite goofy and silly and endearing and fun. Um, yeah. And just seeing him evolve from kind of a small time comedian into a bigger comedian to panel shows into now movies. Like he's a huge movie star now yeah. doing the, um, movies with The Rock and Emily Blunt and so yeah. that that process of his is quite um is quite inspirational to me to see how you can keep that longevity just uh, in the entertainment industry yeah 100% agree um at the end of each episode we do something called the youth booth which is where I ask the guests to leave us with a quote a mantra or something just generally positive so um that's for you that's just been thrown onto me. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll say this: social media is an instant platform. We get everything we want at the click of a button. Success on social media and success just generally, because we've grown up in that instant environment, mm. we expect success to be just as instant, especially on social media. Oh, I see this lovely pretty picture of something on Instagram. Oh, they've got thousands of likes. That must have happened by them just uploading the pretty picture and then it getting thousands of likes. Mm. That's not the case. It still takes years of dedication and getting inherently getting good at what you do. Yeah. You need to be the best at what you do in your field. That field can be tiny. It can be rock collecting on the south coast of England. <laughs> if you are the best rock collector on the south coast of England, you will succeed in what you're doing. So yeah. social media, social media is instant. To, to sum it up, social media is instant. Success on social media is an instant. Right. Um, work hard and get really good at what you do. Yeah. I agree. I love that. Thank you so much um, for coming on the podcast. Have you enjoyed it? I have. Thank you very much, Harrison, for, for having me on. Well, listeners, I will see you next week for another episode. Goodbye. Best of luck. Best of luck. Best of luck.